0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Black in Science. Before we dive in, there are a few disclaimers I'd like to make. So first things first, these episodes are recorded virtually from the comfort of our own homes, so you may hear some ambient noises like a dog barking in the background or a train going by, and these are all uncontrollable factors of the environments we live in. So please try your best to do what I do and just tune them out. Secondly, these interviews are recorded utilizing modern-day technology, which can have the occasional glitch, so you may hear some lag either in my responses or that of the guests I'm talking to, but I promise you they do not take away from the overall story being shared. So without further ado, a list get distorted. On today's episode, I spoke with the wonderful Dr. Jeremy Williams, who currently works as an assistant professor in the Department of Geology at Kent State University. Throughout the episode, Dr. Williams discusses his childhood while growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, the dissertation work he did for his Ph.D. in environmental science at UMass Boston, and the black shell research his lab currently focuses on. Y'all, Jeremy is fantastic. Throughout our entire conversation, he was so open and honest and had some great insights to share, especially when it came to triggering topics like mental health, racism, and white supremacy. So on that note, let's dive right in. So welcome to Black and Science, Dr. Williams. I'm so glad you were able to join me today. So to start things off, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us your name, where you're currently located and where you grew up.
1: My name is Jeremy Williams. I am currently an assistant professor at Kent State University in Kent, Ohio. That is approximately like 25 miles outside of Cleveland in the Northeast Ohio area. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: And how was growing up in Atlanta for you?
1: Oh, it was wonderful. It was, I mean, I didn't realize how good I had it until I left. So when I was 18, I was like, let me get up on out of here. Like, I'm screwed this place. I'm ready to go. So I ended up going to Hampton University, um, which is a historically black college and university. You know, you gotta say that for people that don't know. But I remember being in Southern Virginia. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, there aren't as many Black people here. <laughs> and, and, and I remember just like, I need to get back home. And that did not happen. I just kept going up the ladder in academia, go to grad school in Boston, not as Black either, <laughs> and then in Ohio. So it just I remember just always having a really, really good time growing up having just family oriented fun with my folks friends it, I remember just having a good time growing up.
0: So what got you into science? Were you always intrigued or was there a specific person or experience that kind of got you going?
1: I was always intrigued uh, when it came to science um it was really my grandfather that probably pushed me to to do more science uh, when I was a little kid like when I was probably five or something. I could tell you the names of all the dinosaurs and I could also tell you the names of the bibles too. So,
0: <laughs> so
1: it was um uh, he was a pastor but he he really um pushed my, you know, pushed me to do more with science and then um as I was growing up like my favorite channels were the weather channel, uh National Geographic channel. I remember one time I went to the space whatever the space thing NASA space camp in Huntsville and they have like this I guess this movie and I remember it was a packed theater and it was a part of their like you just it was like a 20-minute movie and everybody was sleep but me in the movie theater so that's when I kind of realized that you know maybe I should really really get more involved when it come when it came to science
0: I love that they all took a nap.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they were all asleep. And it was about like the planets. And I was just in awe. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. And my mom was next to me and she was knocked out. And then my friend was next to me and he was knocked out. Then I looked around the movie theater. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Everybody's asleep but me. That was like the aha moment that I got. And I was probably 10 at the time when that happened.
0: So you did your schooling, your complete schooling up until I'm assuming you graduated high school in Atlanta or the Atlanta area?
1: Yes. So Mm -hmm. um, all my schooling up until that point. And then, like I said, went off to Hampton University, uh, followed by the University of Massachusetts, Boston for my master's and PhD work. Interesting enough, I don't really think about The fact that I got a master's because once you get a Ph.D., you know, like it really doesn't matter. It's like, oh, yeah, I did get this master's along the way because had everything just fell off the wagon, then at least I would have I would have I would have failed with a master's degree.
0: (laughs) you have something to walk you walk away with something right right it's like
1: I have this in my hand and everybody that's in science knows like oh so you got a master's degree instead of a PhD so um after UMass Boston uh I was at Ohio State to do my postdoc and uh then I became professor uh assistant professor at Kent State University and First off, I had this intention, like I was so tired of Boston. I said, I need to get up on out of here. And then I left. And then I was like, oh crap, like I'm in my postdoc. And then I had all intentions of probably trying to do my postdoc for like three to four years or so, just to like make sure I get publications out. And then it wasn't even, it was like a year in, I got an offer from Kent State. So it was. Uh, It was pretty fast. So I'm still trying to like piecemeal, like portions of my postdoc together to like make sure I can like get it out there. But it's I'm still trying to figure that out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I got time.
0: So to rewind a little bit, when did you end up finishing high school?
1: 2004.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you went right to Hampton after that.
1: Yeah, right into Hampton, right after that.
0: Okay, so two questions. One, what did you major in? And two, how was your overall experience at Hampton?
1: Okay, so when I first went into Hampton University, I was a biology pre-med major. Like every Black person that's in science, you don't really know anything outside of being a doctor. Uh, I remember because we uh, at Hampton University, we have a freshman orientation is for a week. And so everybody in there was like 200 or so 200 or 300 people in this one auditorium that were all biology uh, designated their major to be biology. And I remember this person coming in by the name of Dr. Deidre Gibson. And she said, I'm a part of the Marine and Environmental Science Department here at Hampton University. And earth science, marine science has always been like a passion of mine. Like that's been the biggest passion. And I remember when she said that, like my heart was pounding, like I was getting nervous, butterflies in my stomach. And then like, I had to tell myself like, you have to get up and go because you will not be happy um, being a biology pre-med major. And then, too, uh, I don't want to talk about biology pre-med, but I'm about to talk about them. So one of the professors came in, was like, yes, there are like 300 of you all in here, but only 20 of you will make it out of here alive kind of stuff. And I was like, and, and I remember when I got up, I said, you know what? I'm one of the ones that are, that's already out the door. So I remember walking to the Marine and Environmental Science Building, and I just said to myself, this is where I need to be at. And it wasn't easy, but it was it was fun being a part of the Marine and Environmental Science Program. Uh, reason why it was not easy, because I was in the marching band at Hampton University. So you can imagine the amount of hours that i had to juggle in between both my studies and um and academics so that alone was really really hard and tough for me like my freshman year like i remember um i barely got like a 2.0 gpa like i had to retake a few classes i had to retake a class in the department because i was just so Overwhelmed with both marching band and and also juggling academics, so it was at one point where I was just like, you know what, I I'm about to give up. I, I I can't do this. I I can't. I'm I'm getting homesick. This is a lot of work. And then my mom pulled me over to the side and she said, "You made this decision. You need to finish it off." So um, from there, like I, you know, it was funny because like every December I would have this conversation (laughs) up until like junior year I was like okay all right I'm a junior now so I might as well just finish at Hampton University but I was always like I really want to go home and the reason why I did because I was just homesick from um from I was just homesick all the time and uh funny story though which I forgot to say my mom When I changed my major from biology to marine science, my mom actually cussed me out over the phone. (laughs) Literally cussed me out. And to this day, when I got my PhD, I said, I became a doctor, but not that doctor. So we laugh about it now. But yeah, but she really did cuss me out over the phone when I changed my major, but she made me stick with it.
0: Which is fair. (laughs) She's (laughs) like, if you're going to do it, You're going to do it. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So did you end up doing any undergraduate research while you were at Hampton?
1: Yes, I did um, an REU with the University of Toledo. And at this time, I was just doing it because it was a requirement for us as Marine and Environmental Science majors, so we had to do an REU. And um, I actually did two of them. I actually did like kind of like a like a, a very accelerated REU program um, after I graduated at Arkansas State University too. And um, I just remember after I did it, somebody said to me, you can do master's graduate level work. And I was just thinking, okay, master's degree. And then they were like, no, you can do your PhD. And so it was really my REU mentor. His name was Kevin Sikowski. He's still at University of Toledo. I probably need to reach out to him. I don't talk to him as often as I should, but he was the one that kind of said that you definitely should think about doing a PhD program. And um, I didn't realize it, but people like Dr. Deidre Gibson and also there are other people... Uh, like Dr. Benjamin Sooker and others that that really pushed me to, they, they pulled me to the side and said, you can do this work. And I did not see it in myself whatsoever. And I was just like trying to get out. I was like, okay, I'm a senior. I'm trying to get out, move back to Atlanta, like work at a consulting firm, like an environmental consulting firm or something like that. But I until they opened up my eyes. So those mentors were really, really important in making me understand my potential. And then still, when I did it, I just kind of did it because it came across as a threat from them. So they, they like pulled me into the office like, you will do this. And I was like, OK, I, yes, I am going to apply to grad school um, and get my Ph.D. I will do that. Just for you, not for me, but I'll just do that because I feel a little threatened right now. So I'm just going to, you know, because you said so, I'm going to do it.
0: <laughs> right. At least try. We're like, well, okay, I'll apply and we'll see what happens after that. Right. Mm-hmm. So when did you end up finishing undergrad?
1: Uh, I finished, actually, I did finish in four years. Uh, I finished in 2008. I was very impressed with myself for finishing because I still did ban up until that point so I, and i I refused to be a super senior. I remember that said I'm not gonna be a super senior here and i I just pushed through and i i like normally most people they would have had in order for them to graduate on time some people would have like dropped the ban I didn't drop the ban because I also had a scholarship so That was also important. So I was like, you know what? This is just, we're just going to, this is a relationship or a partnership that we're just going to have to get through
0: it. Yep, hunker down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So you ended up going to Boston right after that, or did you take some time off in between?
1: So actually I um, applied to Arkansas State University under Robin Hannigan my first year uh, as a PhD student and um, she ended up getting a new position at UMass Boston. So it was, I probably was three months into grad school and she said, guess what? I got a new position in Boston and you all are coming. So it was a quick stint at Arkansas State University. I remember some of it, but uh, most of it was UMass Boston
0: did you prefer arkansas to boston i'm just curious
1: okay so there are aspects of it so arkansas state is near memphis it's about 45 minutes away it was definitely cheap um me and my roommate who was also a phd student um in the same lab and actually we're still really really close friends uh we went to hampton university together she graduated a year before me um she's like a big sister to me We were like living. We had like a five hundred dollar apartment. It was like two bathrooms, two bedrooms. We had all this space, so we had like you know, for grad students, we're like, oh my gosh, we're rich. And then we go to Boston, and it goes down to two bedrooms, the smallest living room a big kitchen that became mice infected, which was an interesting experience because I am like terrified of mice. And um, we ended up paying like $1,400. Well, right now, $1,400 is nothing. But in 2009, I was like, oh my gosh. So um, we started to really, um, we, we really did lean on each other during that time when we both were getting our Ph.D. So it was I mean, it was still like my PhD Being at UMass Boston, it was still a lot of fun because I had the support system. Like my best friend, who was also my roommate, like we were going through it together. So it was a really good experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Good. I'm glad. So can you tell me a little bit about the program you were in at now UMass Boston and then a little bit about your thesis work, too?
1: Okay, so the program that I was in at UMass Boston was a environmental science uh, program. So my PhD advisor was the chair and then later became dean because we changed the name of the department from Department of Environmental Earth and Ocean Science to the Department of the, I mean, to the school for the environment. And so it was a very interesting experience because it wasn't just it was, it was a policy. You had hydrologists, you had biologists, chemists, GIS, remote sensing, geology, geochemistry. So we were all like this very diverse environmental earth and ocean science department later became a em- school for the environment with all these different things and factors going on. There was like a little bit of a rivalry. So you would have like the people that were in policy, kind of like we got it harder than you. And then the people that were more like, like in my area, quote unquote, the hard sciences, we were like, no, we got it harder than you. And we also had classes together. And um, like they were taking chemical oceanography and we were taking marine policy. So we did help each other out. So it, It really, I I enjoyed that experience because we had people that were housed in the same department, then the same school that were just different thinkers that made you more open-minded to what was around you and how to tackle problems. So that was the really fun thing. My thesis was on the, and I still do work on it, is on the Permian-Triassic Extinction, which is the largest mass extinction in Earth's history. So what we were doing and what I still do today is during my PhD work, I traveled pretty much around the world to collect samples. So my most of my work was in uh, northern India in the region of Himachal Pradesh in the Himalayan mountain range. So uh, for like six weeks. I spent time up there, actually did two stints uh, there. Like I went there during the summertime to collect samples. And what I was really concerned with was um, utilizing uh, geochemical techniques. So like majors, trace elements, rare earth elements, stable isotopes like carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen to understand and reconstruct the paleo environment of the rocks that were representative of this time period to see what was going on how did things go to hell in a handbasket and to some of the extent like what was the recovery of the permian triassic extinction shockingly i still do that work so when i was there like i most of it was from india where my thesis work was at but i was also in croatia serbia like the uh, ex-Yugoslavic countries, China, Mongolia, Australia. Before the pandemic, we were supposed to go to Africa to collect uh, samples. Uh, we are supposed to go to out out west, Utah to collect samples. So I was very fortunate that my PhD advisor, Robin Hannigan, she linked me to a very brilliant mentor. His name is Michael Brookfield. He's about like 80 something years old now and he still runs up mountains like he's 20 years old and in fact he emailed me recently like hey let's go out to um i think austria this summer to go collect samples so it's it's really fun uh it was a it's a very fun experience that i was a part of so i really enjoyed it and i really enjoyed my phd research uh the experience of it, uh, the people that I met, that even opened up my mind even more to like what's going on around the world.
0: So I have a couple questions. So the first one is as far as like defending your dissertation, was there something specific that you found while you were doing your research during your PhD?
1: Uh, For the Permian, Yes, we've um, we found that so this this section that i was researching it was kind of thrown to the side by a lot of uh, experts in the field because it's what we call in geology like a hiatus or like you have an unconformity so that means that you're missing time so that so the time period that's missing a lot of once you have that missing time people will just like say, oh, there's nothing to do here. But when we did a very thorough geochemical investigation, we found that a lot of stuff was going on leading up to the unconformity. So we found really, really cool things going on that we didn't think that were were there. And so that was the really, really cool thing. We're still finding little itty bitty things here and there because there's still a lot of work to be done um, with this uh, section. so so that's that was like the biggest finding was that we found these I wouldn't say itty bitty things, but we found chaos happening before the mass extinction where the mass extinction layer for this uh, section was at.
0: Oh cool. Okay. And then my second question is what was your favorite place to travel, at least so far?
1: Oh, so that's a tough one. I probably have to say Croatia. That was that was a gorgeous place. That was just extremely gorgeous. Greece and Turkey are like a second close, but Croatia, the the food, the people, it was just a lovely time there.
0: Oh, that sounds so cool. I'm so jealous. <laughs> So when did you end up finishing your Ph.D.?
1: Uh, I finished my Ph.D. and I defended in 2013. So I defended in 2013, like December 2013. And I remember like that weekend I drove to Columbus, Ohio to start my postdoc. But I didn't uh, graduate until the May because it was like past the deadline. But I will say this for anybody that's listening, please note that once you defend your your school says that this person is done. This person has their Ph.D. and then the student loan loan. Letter will come in. I was like, wait, I graduated <laughs> technically in May. They were like, no, you actually graduated December to 20 December 2013. <laughs> like the problem says, you know, May 2014. So um I I recently told my grad student that if you really want to rush this, just know that that letter from Sally May is gonna come right in <laughs> six months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They will find you and you will.
1: Yes, they will find you. They found me. They found me in Ohio. They're like,
0: hi, how are you? I was like, wait, what is this
1: letter? How did you find me?
0: So you started your postdoc right after. So did you continue the work you did during your PhD into your postdoc or did you kind of shift areas?
1: I shifted areas, but I still maintain that Permian-Triassic extinction work. So What I ended up doing is it was still like paleo reconstruction, but it went on into understanding organic carbon depositional environments like black shell. So for my PhD, like it was a black shell heavy dissertation. And when I did my postdoc, I transitioned from the Permian into the Devonian, the Marcellus formation. So that's a famous formation because everybody knows that for Uh, hydraulic fracturing, um, oil and gas. So what we're doing there is understanding natural gas migration through geochemistry, um, understanding the paleo environment and how, I don't want to say how's it different, but what makes makes a black shell environment suitable for oil and gas generation? Because not all black shell environment, all oil and gas come from black shell environments, but probably not all black shells are responsible for every single oil and gas um, oil and gas reservoir or formation. So case in point, like my section, the section that I did for my PhD would not be suitable for oil and gas development. And so we were that was the premise of that project. From that project, a lot of things were to spin off of it. It's like, okay, What's happening when we weather weather black shells? Like, what does that do to the environment? What are the implications for black shells when we talk about climate change? Um, So they play a big role in the global climate change um, now and in geological past. So we can look at four of the five mass extinctions and relate them to the oxidation of black shells. Like, we could see... Uh, these things not being present when um, we have a lot of these uh, mass extinctions going on, so that it, it spent it was starting to spin off into like really understanding like how are these things developing because we have an idea but we truly don't have an idea of how they're developing. What are their implications for human health? What are their implications for environmental degradation? And so many things that you can spin off of just this single rock and it gets a bad name for a lot of things and even like with, with hydraulic fracturing and groundwater. So um it's 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 like a it's if you want to dive into black shell research there are so many things that you can do just from that single rock.
0: Good it'll keep you busy then you got plenty to work on
1: yes plenty of work. <laughs>
0: So you said you finished your postdoc in a year, sort of. Were you looking, I know you said you wanted to like wait until three or four years into your postdoc to look into getting another position, but were you applying or did you just happen to um, walk into this opportunity?
1: So it was like I walked into the opportunity and at the same time, um, I did apply to a position, but Normally, at once you do your postdoc, you can um, push off. I did do two years of my postdoc. I just got the offer to go to Kent State like a year into my postdoc. So um, I was in Hawaii at the time, along with my postdoc, because like I had this, like I said, this three-year plan. I said, "I well, I probably need to do another portion." So I was actually looking at coral. And looking at like wanted to look at the geochemistry of coral when it came to ocean acidification and ocean and Um, So I was wanting to look at the the chemical composition of coral at that time. And so I was just I spent probably like three weeks helping out uh, Andrea Gratoli, who is a really good mentor of mine, and her uh, PhD student at the time. Uh, her name is Carrie Dobson. She's actually in uh, DC as a I, I forgot the name of the fellowship, but it's a really lucrative fellowship where you work with uh, Congress and you help like write legislation and all that. I can't think of the name. I know so many people that have done it, but um, I got an email from Kent from the department chair, Daniel Holm, to give a presentation. And I was like, okay. And this was in December. So I gave the presentation in January. And in March, they asked, if I wanted to be a faculty member for them. So that was a whirlwind. And during that time, I also applied for a position at Colorado State that was about black shell deposition. I think I would have gotten it had I not messed up on the interview initial question. They were like, So, what research would you do in Colorado? And this is like my first interview. And I'm a geologist that was of the world, but not the United States, except for like the East Coast. And I said some BS answer. And I was like, you idiot, there's a black shell uh, formation directly in Colorado that you forgot to say. I was like, oh my gosh, I said, I'm not getting this job. But it was good experience because I knew what to expect when it came to interviewing, but. It was funny because when I got the email from Colorado State that we're not moving on, I got an email, no, email, then a phone call to asking if I wanted to be a faculty member at Kent State.
0: Everything works the way it's supposed to. That's what I really believe. (laughs) Right. God was like, you don't need this opportunity over here because I got something better for you right here.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) So when did you end up leaving your postdoc?
1: So I left um, in December 2015. So it was two years. I ended up pushing my start date from the fall to the spring, and that was um, that's how I worked it out with Kent State.
0: So, how is your position now as an assistant professor? It is
1: oh, it is an interesting thing. Um, I always joke about wanting to be a grad student again. Like I, I, I sometimes want to email my PhD advisor, like, so are you accepting grad students again? And she's a provost now at Clarkson University, and she's not looking for a grad. She's not looking for me <laughs> to become a grad student again. But it's just a lot of um, responsibility. You're not only the teacher. You're not only the mentor. You're not just the researcher. You're also the admin. You're the accountant, you're everything. And you start to realize as a PI, things cost money <laughs> and things break. <laughs> and you just, you know, cry on the inside when things start to break. So it's, it's been a, it's been a very, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it, I would call it a very needed experience to understand how things work understanding and getting used to rejection, um, celebrating the the small victories, We're always constantly writing proposals, um, writing manuscripts, making sure students are doing what they need to do. Not only that, going in and, and just like, just switching gears left and right, like going from researcher to teacher, teacher to mentor, and then you come home and you're just like, I I you just you're just mentally, like mentally it, it was it was a leap.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's an understatement yeah. based on what you described. <laughs> so what's one short-term future goal you have for yourself and one long term?
1: So one short-term future goal that I have for myself is um currently like I'm like on this kind of like this pre-tenure sabbatical which is really nice uh so it's like for six months where i'm working with an archaeologist and so um while i'm in this program it's called the it's i'm going to mess up the name the institution of citizens and scholars or yeah i think that's the name of it is it's they they changed it up it used to be the woodrow wilson um institute um is something like the institution of citizens and scholars or scholars and citizens I hope they don't come after me um, for messing up the name uh but being in it I was like the only you know quote unquote natural hard science and I met a lot of social scientists and they were all writing books and you no, know, as scientists we don't think about writing books we just think about publish, publish, publish. And um, they said, "You, if you want to write a book, you should write it that speaks to your community. So that stuck with me. So one of the things that I want to do is write a book. I'm going to start this journey of writing a book. I don't know why I'm going to do this um, starting in January. Try to like find a publisher and try to get it out within a year. A long term goal might be to go to um, I want to definitely try to position myself to become to do a Fulbright fellowship. Like that's that's one of the things I think that would be a little bit probably a long term, you know, in academia isn't necessarily long term, maybe like two or three years. Try to position myself to get a Fulbright fellowship and and do that as well.
0: That's awesome. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) so has the current pandemic had an effect on your work
1: it has uh of course being a black man and and just seeing like 2020 was just one of those years where you're just like blow after blow you just didn't even know if like it's like do i even want to open up my computer today like do i want to do what's what's the point of going outside what's the point of of just walk. what's the point of me being here in the moment right now so I I went through that a lot and when it came to research I definitely put my students first I ended up finishing a master's student uh, during the time of the pandemic it was one of those moments like she was an extremely good student but she had A lot of challenges presented to her during the pandemic, being a mother, all this other type, new mother um, trying to find a job in the pandemic. She did that. And she like she came through on the other side and that her passion to get through it, like just gave me just like this. I don't know. It just gave me like a fire to try to do more. Cause I said, here's this person. Um, she's really going through it, but she's pushing through. Like she, like her will, her willpower to go through was just something. But I, I remember just, um, like the thing is, like we were going to go to Africa. We didn't get to go to Africa. So that, that really, really like put me into like a funk, and then also. <laughs> Even getting kind of more depressed with everything, like I said, with everything going on, and just trying to, just trying to get through it. Eventually, like I said, once she defended, I started to get out of that. So I would say I was probably in that, like that depression state for a good seven months or so, and um, then it was just like eventually, it was like you got to do something about it. Like I was pushing through, like but I, I, I started to question do i really want to do this do i really want to be here like as a professor trying, so it was it was definitely um difficult but there were high points during it like i did get publications out so that was a good thing like i said i did finish the student so those were some really high points and i started looking back like you were still you didn't do what you set out to do but you made do like you you were handed your cards and you made you played the game like you should have in order to maintain some type of stability during the pandemic
0: yes which is was a feat in and of itself that's for sure so your answer is actually a pretty good segue into my next question so um as a black man in your chosen field what has your experience been like so far
1: um I would say when I was at Hampton University I realized that they were protecting me and when I say they were protecting me they were protecting me from all the all the discrimination and racism and when I went to grad school it was my professors that suggested that I go to work with my PhD mentor and they were doing that because, like I said, my roommate worked with works with this person. Um, somebody else worked with her and even not only just me, but they were strategically placing us in uh, different universities where we would have been protected by all that craziness. So when I was at UMass Boston, like, yeah, we had yeah, there were incidents here and there, but they were like really childish incidents that were going on, but I was still like protected by like, it was it was a safe space for me. It wasn't until I got to Ohio State that it was like, wait a minute, this is something complete. Like that's when I started to experience um, racism. Um, I started, like that was like the first thing, um, there was an incident where this uh, technician Pretty much tried to get me fired, and I, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it was definitely like something behind that. So that was the first thing, and then at Kent State, um, my department is extremely, extremely good um, when it comes to being open-minded, but just the different forces of just being a a PI has just been outside of my control has always, it does come at you left and right.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. That's interesting because a lot of the um, people I've interviewed so far who have gone to HBCU said it was sort of like this protective bubble Mm -hmm. for them, which was good because it sort of gave them the confidence to stand on their own when they finally Mm -hmm. left that bubble and were forced into the real world. So,
1: Right. Like you find yourself in that bubble, And and that's one thing I like about my experience as an HBCU. And um, I was talking to um, one of my fellow classmates who also has a Ph.D. I think out of my class alone, I think there were there were three true freshmen or so like three or five and like three of us have our PhDs. So but we were just talking about how uh, me and this person were just talking how Hampton University allowed us to just. It just protected us from all the craziness because there were Confederate flags everywhere in Virginia and all this other stuff. But it, it, it served as a bubble where you could just find yourself, find who you were as a person. And like get, like you said, give you that confidence to just stand on your own. So when something came up, you were just like, whoa, what is this? So that was probably the best thing about Hampton University was that. It, it served as that bubble, that protection from everything else that I did mm-hmm. not have to deal with.
0: Yeah, which is good. I think we all need that at some stage in our life, too.
1: Yeah, we do. And I'm, if you think about it, I mean, if we look at how white supremacy runs this country, I mean, individuals who identify as white do not have to Some of them do, but for the most part or majority of the time, they don't have to they don't have that veil of being uh, underrepresented. Like they always have that platform that is already there for them, whereas we have to you know, our parents were building it. We're building it to stand on it. So it, it definitely like I said, it was it was needed. Because had I not had that, I don't think I would have gone on to become a professor.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are three pieces of advice you'd give to someone who's interested in pursuing a similar path as you?
1: I would say, number one, be unapologetic about your passion. Um, When I was a kid i was unapologetic about it i didn't care what people thought that i was into earth science and i like people did try to make fun of me for it and i'm just kind of like oh, okay yeah whatever but don't let that discourage you i would say the other thing is you will have trials and tribulations one of the things that my dad taught told me when i was growing up he said what you do now do you think that you will ever do it for free like would you ever just do Would you just go collect rocks and analyze them with an instrument for free? I was like, heck yeah, like that's that's so much fun. So that was one of the things. And the other thing is don't ever let anyone put you down. Always know that whatever stage that you're at, whether it be a grad student, whether it be an undergraduate, Thinking about grad student, thinking about graduate school, whether it be a grad student, thinking about a career, or even if you're in your career, know that you put yourself there. Yes, there were people that helped you out, but you alone were the one that had to convince yourself to do it. So the hard work that you did is paying off, and that that is your work. You are not, you are not like, oh, they only had. Uh, What they call that, how the way they used to do affirmative action or or the stereotype with affirmative action where it's like, oh, I am. They had two spots and you were one of the two spots. No, you earned your right to be where you are today.
0: Oh, yes. That's such good advice. Such good advice. Especially um, don't let anybody put you down, especially because a lot of the people I've interviewed so far, I would say. Like 95% have talked about struggling with imposter syndrome and feeling like, you know, they're not supposed to be there or any of that stuff. So acknowledging the fact that you earned the place you're in is so important. It's something I think a lot of us struggle with and fight to do all mm. the time, every day, especially in spaces where we're not represented.
1: Right. And imposter syndrome forms supremacy. And I'll also, another thing is, unfortunately, you need to, as a individual that is especially a member of an underrepresented group, you need to you need to really take some classes in understanding white supremacy. You think you know, you have no idea. You need to understand the forces that are behind it. And as to why, like you might do something a certain way, why you might feel a certain way, like i.e. imposter syndrome, that is a form of white supremacy. It, let's just call it what it is. It, that's what it is. And so once you know that and you know how to deal with it, because I, I, used, I used to struggle a lot with it. But when I started to really say, like, I really need to understand how white supremacy has affected my mindset, how it's affected how I carry myself. And that's also help you be unapologetic in who you are. But you have to understand those forces in order to, like, break them down.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, understand it, acknowledge it so you can overcome it. Is Exactly. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, that was actually all the questions I had for you today. So if you're willing, would you mind either sharing your social media information or your email or both for anyone who wants to reach out with questions?
1: Uh, so my social media, I have to look at it because I don't know. So Twitter is uh, Dr. J Dub. So D R, the Dubs is like D as in dog, U as in umbrella, B as in beta, B as in beta, Z. So I, I was thinking of Dubs, like, you know, like, because I'm all, it's, it's a play on my last name, but it's also like Dubs because I'm always winning. Mm-hmm. That's how I like to think of it. And um, that's my Twitter handle, Dr. J Dubs. And uh, for email, you can email me at jwill243 at kent.edu.
0: Perfect. And of course, I will make sure to leave all that information in the episode's description too. So is there anything else you would like to add?
1: No, nah, just just go out and be rock stars. I know that's a play. That's a pun. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> I, I liked it. That was a good one. <laughs> well, thank you again for taking the time to participate today. I'm so excited to share this conversation with everyone in the Black and Science community.
1: And thank you, Jasmine, for the opportunity to share my story.
0: And there you have it, guys. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Black in Science. I want to thank Dr. Williams once again for taking the time to participate as a guest on the show. Make sure you check out his social media pages and follow his journey on Twitter. I'll be sure to link his info in the episode's description. If you're interested in staying up to date with the latest Black & Science content, feel free to follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore B-I-S and on Instagram at Black Science, we'll be posting regular updates on the release of new episodes every other Monday. Lastly, if you're interested in participating as a guest on the show, just send me an email at bis the at gmail.com. Thanks again for all of your love and support, and I'll talk to you guys in the next one.